Hey there, everybody. So happy to be with you. I am grateful. We're starting our second week of Building Trust and Faith, one of my favorite classes. And uh, I'm in North Carolina with the Spiritual Counseling Training Intensive. So we're doing some good work here. It's quite fun. Wish you were with us. And let us begin, as we always do, with a prayer. So I'm going to invite you to turn within. And so take a breath of love and gratitude together. <sighs> Grateful and thankful to open our heart and open our mind to the highest possibility of love. That's what we're calling forth. That's what we're anchoring. That's what we're saying yes to. So grateful to say yes to perfect love living through us and as us. Grateful and thankful to open our hearts and open our minds to the power and the presence of love living in our awareness as our very being. We are grateful and thankful to partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self and to recognize that our true nature and our true identity is already whole and complete. So grateful and so thankful to consciously know that building our faith, anchoring our trust in the love of God, makes a difference for every being everywhere because we're one with them. We are grateful and thankful to allow ourselves to have the peace of mind that comes with faith. In gratitude, we share the benefits with all. We let it be. We allow it to be. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. Yes, indeed. So grateful. Yes. One thing I'd like to uh, share with you, my understanding about trust and faith is that in our true nature, in our true identity, our awareness holds the recognition of perfect truth. So that's already in our awareness. And basically what we're doing is in our masterful living classes, in our life, in our spiritual practice, we are eliminating all the false beliefs in order to open our mind to that revelation of truth, to the perfect knowing. So that's what we're doing. We're purifying our minds so that all that we know is the truth. There's nothing other than the truth that's occupying our attention. This is our journey of awakening. So faith, in my awareness, faith is really knowing that God is, that God is permanent, that God is real, that God is all that there is, that God can never fail, that God is what we are, that there is perfect oneness. It's happening now and that all is eternally well. So faith is knowing. Now in the Bible it says faith is belief, but it's really knowing. And I think the distinction between belief and knowing is helpful to us. Because our beliefs get in the way. 
we can have different beliefs. Beliefs come and go. We all know that. One, one minute we believe we're wonderful and the next minute we believe we're not. So beliefs come and go, but the truth is eternal. You can build your house on that rock. And it, and it, the beliefs are the sinking sands. So the way to achieve that knowing of the truth that faith is, is through trust. It's through placing your trust in the light, placing your trust in love. So that's what we were talking about last week. So faith is knowing. Trust is practicing knowing. Faith is knowing. Trust is practicing knowing. Now, in this journey that we're on, We are always remembering, 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 remembering. And as we walk through our life, we begin to notice where we place our trust and where we place our faith. Ernest Holmes, the founder of the Science of Mind teachings, sums it up so beautifully when he says, worry is the negative use of your faith. When you're worried, when you're afraid, you're placing your trust and your faith in your own opinions and judgments. When you're worried, you're placing your trust and faith in the things of this world, the things that are temporal, the things that are temporary, the things that are not solid, the things that you do not know, the things that are the projections and the perceptions. And that's why you're worried, because you've misplaced your faith. So... In building this strong faith, we're training ourselves to literally feel when we are placing our trust in something that's impermanent, placing our trust in our own opinions and judgments. So we, we start to become really mindful. Am I placing my trust in something that's not trustworthy? So that's, that's the journey that we're on. Now, one of the ways that we misplace our trust is through expectations. Expectations are a form of attachment. So, you know, oh, I expected you to be there for me. We say that to our loved ones. I expected that you were going to come home and feed the cat and all that. And where were you? I expected you to do what you said you were going to do. The, all these expectations that we have. And one of the things over the years, uh, I've counseled married couples and business partners and people like that. And one of the downfalls that people fall into, it's such a trap, is expectations. And oftentimes expectations are a preparation for disappointment. What Usually when you have an expectation, You've got a disappointment waiting to happen. Now, expectations are also something that's often found with the mind that is controlling. So the person who is very controlling often has lots of expectations. Now, I can tell you, I used to be a control freak. Freak's not a very nice word, but that's how I felt. I felt freakish. 
really, that that's the truth of it, because I was so controlling. I had so many expectations. I had so many attachments. I, I had no free space in my mind. Everything was expectation, attachment, control. And I really was almost always in a place of trying to manipulate the people around me or just even manipulate myself and control myself. And I thought that that was the only way to achieve happiness, was to have total control. <clears throat> Trying to have control is the way to have total unhappiness. It is the perfect recipe for unhappiness. There is no happiness in having control. There's happiness in having faith. When you have faith, then you don't have any control, but the way is clear. So I talked about that some last week. Now, um, in my life, I've had many strong mental patterns that I really uh, have had to work with because I used to expect the worst of people. I used to expect people to disappoint me and let me down. I used to expect that things would not go the way I wanted. And so that's why I developed this controlling personality was to uh, try and get a handle on things. And as a control freak, I liked planning for all contingencies so that I would never be surprised. I could always try and manage and manipulate things to be the way I thought they should be. And so as a control freak, I was looking to manipulate every conversation, every interaction, every activity in my life. And I had this idea that if I didn't try to control everything in my life, I just, my life would not be worth living. And so I would just be like a little ship on a big ocean tossed by the waves. And my only hope of having a life where I was going in a direction I wanted was to try and control everything. Now I know that to have a life that I enjoy living, I keep my attention on where I'd like to be. That's the main thing. And I have faith that I'm going there or someplace better. And this is why in Masterful Living and Finding Freedom in my classes, I teach about focusing of the deep desire of your heart and keeping it in front of you all the time, keeping your aspiration in front of you, your aspiration to be happy, your aspiration to be a beneficial presence, your aspiration to be a truly helpful presence in this world. Keeping your aspiration in front of you is really focusing on where you'd like to be. And that's the thing that draws you to it or draws it to you because our mind is the mind of God. And so the infinite creativity of God is in our mind. We can use it with expectations and trying to control things and manage and manipulate, or we can use it to create a life we really enjoy. Because let's face it, if you're trying to manage, control, and manipulate things, your mind is working very creatively to try and figure out where everything can go wrong and what people should be doing and what they should not be doing, how to prevent things going the way you don't want them to go. You're very creative, very creative. And I, I once had um, 
someone that I knew quite well who uh, was very manipulative, very controlling. Uh, they said to me, they asked me one time, they said, Jennifer, how is it that you went from being someone so unhappy and so miserable to having this life that you really like? And you're enjoying it. You're having things turn out the way you'd like them to turn out. And so I thought about it. You know, I I had this vision of myself as a being of light. And I made the decision that's the direction I'm heading in no matter what. And if it takes me a million lifetimes, I don't care. I'm going towards the light. I've had enough of the darkness. And she said, oh, see, that's why you can succeed and I cannot. I imagination can't see a vision of light for myself. I can't imagine anything good for myself, any of that ability. So I'm stuck here in this hopeless, helpless place. Now, this is someone I knew well. So I said, my friend have the most creative imagination of just about anyone I know. Your imagination is so vivid that you can be sitting with millions of dollars in the bank, in the lap of luxury, with people who love you, and you will still be imagining that they're going to deceive you, they're not going to do what you want, you have to manage, control, and manipulate them, you don't have enough money, you're going to end up in the poorhouse, you're this and that, everything's going wrong. Your imagination just goes to the negative, but you have an incredibly vivid imagination. If you could just be willing to harness that through the power of love, starting to focus on being loving instead of trying to control, manage, and manipulate, your whole life would turn around. You have more creative imagination than I do, for sure. You're just using it to focus on the negative. So her trust was really only in her ability to make things happen. She didn't have trust and faith in God. And so we're always placing our trust in something. And it's important for us to recognize what it is. So... Control is the opposite of happy. It's the opposite of love. Control is the opposite of being in the flow. Control is the opposite of feeling guided, guarded, and protected. Control is you're on your own. God has left the building, and now you have to take care of yourself. So, yes, we, we need to pay attention. We need to be present. We need to be awake and aware to what's going on. But we will be carried to exactly the highest and best place for us if we're willing. If we're willing to be in the flow of love and to trust love, as I was sharing about last week. Now, back in the day when I was a control freak, one of the things that happened for me was I was in a relationship, living with a man. I loved him very much. He loved me very much. But he literally couldn't stand to live with me anymore. He couldn't stand it because I was so controlling. He, because of, literally, as I perceive it now, because I 
was I loved was so loving with him and so empowering to him, he actually decided I need to go live on my own. I need to spread my wings. And so I need to take a break from you. And it was devastating to me. It was devastating to me. And it finally came home to roost this all my controlling. And I I was just out of my mind. I was so freaked out about it. But what happened was I decided, okay, he's right. I am very controlling and manipulative. I It's not happy making. I would like to stop. There is a better way. I'm going to find a better way. And I thought at the time, gosh, I wish there were 12-step programs for control freaks. And I thought about it and I thought, but who would run the meeting? I Control freaks can't really have a 12-step program because everybody was trying to control the meeting. So control freaks is really better if they just work on their own. And so that's what I did. So uh, I would I would have liked to have really had some comrades that I could talk about it with. But um, control freaks, uh, they tend to run away from other control freaks because otherwise it's just a competition. So I didn't have other friends who were control freaks. I just had my dad, <laughs> you know. So... Um, but I, I actually got to help my dad and, and really help my dad give up the controlling too. So we, we did a lot of work together that way. But I have to say, it was hell. It was really, really just, uh, it was gut-wrenching. It was awful and hard. And so that's part of what really compels me now to teach about this and to teach about it clearly. So what I'm going to invite you to do is to notice in your own heart, in your own mind, if you haven't already, where you are trying to control circumstances in your life, where you're trying to even control your body, where you're trying to control your loved ones or your coworkers, and are you in a place where you're trying to manage and manipulate them. Do you go to manipulation if people just aren't doing what you're saying? And what is the manipulation that you go to? Let's just own it. Let's talk about it. It will bring it to the light. This is so helpful. Most people don't ever want to look at this. This is the gnarly stuff under the rock. You know, like you go to the woods, you pick up a rock or a log, and there's all those bugs start scattering, and it's like, oh, God, that's so gross. That This is what we're talking about. That's what manipulation and control is like. It's the gnarliest thing in the world because we say we love people, but now we're trying to manipulate them. That is so disrespectful to try and manipulate somebody. It is so unloving. And it really, it's like, it's like defecating in your relationship. It's really um, it's really harmful to relationships. And over the years, I've met many people, many people whose parents, whose children don't speak to them anymore or speak to them very little. 
It's a pretty common thing. It's more common than you might think. And sometimes I feel like there's some controlling and manipulation that's gone on that the parents aren't even aware of because that's how they were raised. They're not even aware of it. So there's not necessarily this horrible, malicious intent. They're just operating the way that they were raised. I mean, that that was certainly true of my parents. You know, my, my father could be very manipulative. My mother could be very manipulative. But they didn't see it that way. That's not how they saw it. They were just saying how they felt. They were just telling it like it is. You know, now I can see that it was manipulative. So let's let's bring some of this to the light. So I'm going to invite anybody who would like to share, anybody who has an awareness of ways that they have experienced the, the managing, the controlling, the manipulating, uh, either directed at them or they're doing it themselves. So star two to raise your hand if you're on the phone. Star two to raise your hand if you're on the phone. Do you have any examples? Okay, we've got Jenny raising her hand here. So go ahead, Jenny. Jenny? Oh, can you hear me now? Hello? Sure. Okay, yeah. great. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so a quick example would be of my parents, and I, and I knew, I knew intellectually in my mind that they had only been raised that way, but I never understood it physically until now. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was all very much, um, you know, if if they if you do something that they don't like, then it's almost like they withdraw their love from you. They they um, will not call me back. Uh, will not, um, you know, will be very curt on the phone. So very very quick conversations. Uh, yeah, it's it's when that cold shoulder comes, when that cold shoulder hits, it is freezing cold. But it seems to have suddenly started to change. <laughs> How is it changing? Um, at uh, so my parents were in town to visit my um, my sister. They stayed, of course, at my sister's place. Um, we had two meals together, so we had breakfast one day, and then. Uh, then lunch the other day, and so breakfast um, the other day we went to Cracker Barrel, and um, we were sitting at the was sitting at the table. Ordinarily, they would both sit opposite me, um, and it, it would always feel like I'm being interviewed by them, or that you know they they would always stick together, and there was no getting in the middle of them, um, and. Uh, I, you know, when 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 then went to go sit down that way, and I said, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit this way. Well, then you don't have to sit here and eat. We don't have, we don't have to eat. And I said, fine, we don't have to eat. And so I started leaving, and we went out to the parking lot, and and I explained to them what it was, and we went back in, and they actually changed up the way that they sat. Um, and then when 
and then my my father, of course, had a comment about my hair. He didn't like my hair. Um, but then when we went to um, when we went to lunch, then the other two days after that first day, uh, I had walked in and they were already sitting opposite each other, so that I was able to pick which side of the table I wanted to sit on, who I wanted to sit next. So it it just it's like my I wasn't being I felt like I wasn't being punished anymore. That's great. That's a big change. And I would say to you, Jenny, that the change is happening not because of what you said or did, but because your mind is changing about yourself, your mind is changing about them. So there's more flow of love, so they're able to just respond with more love to you. How do you how do you mean like what do you like how how do you mean that? Because there in the past it's always been I can never make any requests. I can never, you know, no one in the family is ever allowed to make any request about, you know, please don't treat me like that or or please, you know, please respect me and respect my wishes. It was always like that. I, I, I would nobody would ever be allowed to say anything and including me and have anybody answer that request. So how how is the work that I'm doing making that like is it because I'm not playing the victim anymore? I don't know. Yeah, well, you know what it is primarily, really and truly, is you're more interested in being loving now. So everyone around you is going to shift. Some people will shift faster than others. And it's also, their shifting is also in alignment with how you see them, if you change your mind about them. If you see them as more open-minded, they will show up as more open-minded. Okay. Yep. So if you're not feeling as much like a victim, what that really means is you're feeling more receptive to love. You're feeling more receptive to support. So mm -hmm. you're going to experience more of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. I get it. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And we have Lori raising her hand here. Hey, Lori. Hey, Jennifer. Thank you for um, this wonderful call and class and teaching and gem sharing. I um, got, had a wonderful um, experience yesterday with family celebrating Mother's Day. Um, and um, I don't have any children myself, but I have two sisters with children and, uh, you know, adults. <laughs> but anyway, I'm... Um, grown children. Uh, my experience yesterday is of myself and listening to everything tonight, I something clicked for me that I so judged myself and so as uh, the more work that I do, my ego is kicking my butt. Like and I can't like this um 
on the Facebook page, someone shared about, um, you know, basically going through the fear to the other side. And I, I know I need to do that now. But I am easily putting my attention on other people and what other people are doing such that my um, family, especially my sister, uh, one sister and her eldest, um, my nephew, are very keen at any little behavior I do that's that's controlling and micromanaging others and pointing out things that they're doing that, like, mom, look what they're doing type of, you know, type of experience. And I have been, in the last week, doing that to everyone, it seems. I mean, I, I, not every single one 100%, but a lot at at my two part-time jobs, you know, service providers, and I'm really leaving messes everywhere I'm going. And I I, I don't know what it is, you know, building up the self-love. I don't know, Jennifer. Um, (laughs) And I'm... My ego's got me so exhausted, my head is just full, like you said earlier tonight, about, you know, your experience in the past, and such that I stayed up till 2 in the morning last night trying to empty my head, and I just, I don't know, I guess I I haven't made that, even though I made a declaration that I want to be truly helpful, as the prayer says in A Course in Miracles, I guess Can I'm not you, Lori, give us a specific example of... The little thing that I did. That, Not give us all the yeah, just the little thing that okay, you did. Okay, so whole so story. so for my 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 mother and stepfather got married in 1988, and they have these champagne flutes that have the you know the embossed their you know um, date and and marriage and and. And we've always reserved those and not used those glasses. And and yesterday, my nephew grabbed one of those, and I said, oh, you have their anniversary flute. Can I get you another one? And they, my sister and him, like what they would call ripped me me a new one. And then my mom comes over, and she goes, anything in the house can be used. And I thought, oh, my God, since a little girl, I've been pointing out what mom doesn't want you to do. So, anyway, that's what happened. And they brought it up again, late hours later. <laughs> so I'm just done living like that. Yes, good for you. Yep, see, this is sometimes we need something to show up as being painful or judgmental in order for us to realize, oh, okay. Other people in my life are feeling judged by me, so now they're sending that judgment back in my direction. How do I like it? I don't like it very much. So now I'm going to be more mindful of being loving and less judgmental. You know, it's the pain can push us. Love can pull us. We get to decide how we want to live. We get to decide the quality of our journey. I think I have this fear that if I'm like like I'm coming to me is like oh now I'm going to be the Pollyanna the good one and and no one's like going to believe it or I'm not going to believe it it's just this weird thing that I've been battling forever. It's the minute someone says that oh God I really enjoyed being with you or something then I turn around and sabotage that. 
so weird. Yep. Yep, I get it. So that's a pretty common thing, Lori. And that has to do with feeling unworthy. And so one of the things you can do is if you find yourself sabotaging like that, just own it. Own it as quick as you can. If you find yourself sabotaging in your relationship, because people have separation anxiety, people are afraid to receive love. We have so reasons why we sabotage our relationships. But it's it's what it is is we're uncomfortable being loving, loving uh, from other people and. If you find yourself doing that and people feel or are upset by things you've said, or just own it as quick as you can. That's the responsibility. When we take responsibility like that, we are shifting the pattern. Are you okay? There's a lot of noise there on the line. Everything okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. I just had to park. Uh, so... That's that's the thing for you to, to practice. You get to practice taking responsibility. And taking responsibility is an act of love. So then there's more love flowing in your life. The ego doesn't want responsibility. The ego wants to say it's their fault. They're stupid. They don't get it. I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to protect them. I'm trying to save the damn champagne glasses, you know, so that they never get broken, you know, or or whatever it is. We're, we're yes, just trying that was to help Yep, but the, the so the ego will react to it. But if you can just keep asking, well, what's the loving response here? What's the loving thing? And um, always remember, too, that if you're feeling judged, chances are you have been the judger first. Mm-hmm. So own your judgment. So I learned to say to people, um, like I'll give you an example. One time I was talking with my brother. It was kind of late at night. Now, my brother and I had a contentious relationship for many, many, many years. We really struggled in our relationship. We were always picking on each other, even as adults, fault-finding, you know, besting each other. It was just competitive, and it was very unpleasant. And so... One night, we were sitting up uh, late talking, just the two of us, and the conversation turned to politics. And my brother and I don't have this huge gap in our political beliefs, but he said something. And my first thought in response to him was a judgment, was an attack thought. And I knew right away I do not wish to say that attack thought because we're having a nice time talking. If I say the attack thought, the judgment thought, then he's going to send another one right back, and then we're going to be arguing. And then we're going to go to bad mad at each other. I do not wish to participate in that. So I didn't know what to say. So I'm sitting there. I didn't know what to say. So I finally just said to him, you know, Mike, what you just said, my response in my mind is judgment, to, to share judgment with you. But I know my judgments aren't even true. So why would I bother to share that with you? Because it'll just annoy you. Then you'll be upset, and then I'll get upset. And we're having a nice conversation. So honest to God, I have no idea what to say to you. You know? You said your thing. 
okay, I got nothing I got nothing for you. Nothing but judgment and I'm just not gonna speak it because it's not gonna be helpful to either of us. And my brother just looked at me and I he looked at me like, Who are you and what did you do with my sister? Like, I don't know this person. I do not know this one. I don't know where she came from. You know, like suddenly invasion of the body snatchers had come to life in his house. So, um, but you know what he did say after a pause? He said, I hear you. I hear you. And um, I remember one time, another example I can give you was I was having lunch with a client of mine and um, someone who worked for her, one of her employees. And um, this employee happened to be someone who was very religious, like born-again religious. And um, we were sitting at lunch, and there was another uh, colleague with us, the four of us, Beautiful restaurant in Malibu, California on a beautiful day. Like just beauty on top of beauty on top of beauty. And our, my client was paying for lunch. We were ordering a nice lunch. We were waiting for the food to come. And the religious person said something to me about, you know, what do you think of what's happening in Afghanistan or something like that. And so I said, you know, I don't really feel like talking about that. I really, um, we're having this beautiful lunch in Malibu on a beautiful day. And honestly, God, I just have zero interest in talking about what's happening in Afghanistan. And he said, no, you're a minister. You're a spiritual teacher. You have to talk about these issues. You have to be able to talk about these things. You know, you have to let people know what you're thinking and feeling about these things. You can't just say, I don't want to talk about it. And I just, you know, I calmly felt how I felt. I feel my feelings. It's so important to feel your feelings. So I felt them and I said, you know, I don't have to talk about it. I'm pretty sure I really don't have to talk about it. And I don't wish to talk about it. So I'm not going to talk about it. We're having a lovely lunch and it feels like you just want to have an argument with me about religion. And I... I just have no interest in that right now. I love you. You're great. But let's just talk about something. I said, and the other thing is, I don't think anybody else wants to talk about that either right now. I I think, you know, we just want to have a nice, lovely lunch on a beautiful Malibu afternoon. And the other two people were like, uh, yeah, for sure. For sure, we don't want to talk about the Taliban in Afghanistan and Arnie and that right this minute. Because they knew he was just wanted to have an argument. And um, so we had our lovely lunch. We went back to the office. And uh, about an hour later, he came in and he said to me, I don't know what it is about me. I do that all the time. I provoke these arguments. And it, it doesn't make me happy. Then I feel terrible about myself. And I just don't know why I can't stop doing it. And so I said, you're a big fat loser and you should just go kill yourself. No. I I said, no, I get it. I used to do the same thing. I used to do the same thing. I totally understand. I said, you know, there's something about making other people wrong and arguing that can help us for a moment seem to be powerful. 
Mm. It seems to cover up our insecurities. I don't have anything to talk about with these people, so I'm going to find an argument to start. Then I will feel powerful. I will get to be right. They will be wrong. But ultimately, it just makes us feel worse about ourselves. So we start off feeling insecure, and we look for power to find fault with others. I was a fault finder. I I could walk into every room, any, and I would just scan the room, find fault with everybody, and then I could relax. Because then I knew if anybody came up to me and they were judging me, if I felt threatened, I would just go right to, dude, I had you pegged the minute I walked. See, you were a loser from the moment I saw your face. Let me start it because we'll straight up your body with your brain and start talking about personality and I will crush you like a bug. You will wish you had never, ever come over to here. Literally, that's how I was. So I know a lot about this. And for me, one of the hardest things was just to really accept that people could love me and that I was lovable and that I wasn't bad and wrong. That was the hardest thing for me because all day long I was thinking such unloving thoughts I did not feel lovable. So... That's why our classes are all about getting into the flow of love, changing our mind, and realizing that when we change our mind, the whole world around us changes. Because you know what I hear all the time now? There's not one day that goes by that people don't tell me, gosh, you're so loving, Jennifer. You're so loving. You're so patient. You're so kind. And that's who I used to be. feels natural. Because it is natural to all of us. It's our natural state. And hiding underneath anything else. So we don't have to change anyone in the world. No one do we have to change. We just change our mind about them. Then they start to show up as they truly are. So this is where we go back to expectations. So we expect that people are going to disappoint us. We expect that people are going to annoy us. We expect that people are going to not like us. And then we've planned a defense. We've planned an attack strategy. So, So even with the example of your parents and seating in the restaurant, what if from now on you anticipated you were just going to have a wonderful time with them? Instead of anticipating, or this is Jenny actually, instead of anticipating that, um, for Jenny, that she has to organize her parents and manage her parents because they're trying to control her, but just to be in the flow of love, just to relax and let, let things come up rather than preparing to defend yourself, preparing to control the situation. And so one of the things I really had to learn, like you're talking about, Laurie, is I had to learn if the people are going to use the champagne flutes, you know, that were, you know, your parents' anniversary champagne flutes that we thought nobody touched or used, and people are touching them and using them, well, who made you the champagne flute police? You know what I'm saying? I, I have to say that to myself all the time. Jennifer, you're not the police. 
you know, if 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 your parents don't want them to use those glasses, your parents are free to speak up, right? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So that's the thing is you don't have to control that anymore. You can relax. This was the secret that as soon as I really got the hang of recovering from being a control freak was I realized, oh, my God, life just got so much easier. I don't have to control everything anymore. Yeah, okay, people are going to do this, people are going to do that. All right. They will live and they will learn. I'm not the boss of them. So I, I had to really go around for like a year and just say, I am not the boss of them. I am not the boss of them. In my mind, I am not the boss of them. And I would start to go, oh, don't do, oh, no, no, I have nothing. I got nothing to say. And so I just bit my tongue, you know, until I didn't have to bite it anymore. I could just hold my tongue until I could just I'd not even notice things anymore. And people would say, do you see what they're doing? I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. Well, that's an interesting way to do it. I do it differently, but I'm sure they'll learn from it the way they're doing. My oh, my God. Out better. I, I just got it. I relax. I'm not in charge. <laughs> yeah, relax and not be in charge. Exactly. It's so much easier. And then you can be in the flow of love. And focus on how to be in the flow of love instead of how to control, manage, and manipulate or prevent bad things from happening. Because if we're in the mode of preventing bad things from happening, then we're always imagining bad things to happen. It's like my grandmother and I had a... um, I, I, I used to correspond with both my grandmothers. And so we wrote letters because... Back in the day, we didn't have computers, so we wrote letters. So I, we wrote back and forth all the time, constantly writing letters. And my my grandmother, my mother's mother, was a worrier, and she would write to me. She would say, you know, when I moved to Boston to go to college, and then I moved to New York after college, she would write to me all the time, I just pray something terrible doesn't happen to you. I just pray something terrible doesn't happen to you. And I think, well, how did she do that? Does she imagine something terrible happening to me and then a circle and a line through it? Like, cancel, cancel, cancel. Like, she's imagining me being grabbed and raped and then, no, that's not happening. Like, I just don't, how does she pray something doesn't ha- terrible doesn't happen to me? So I would write her back and I'd say, how about this? Pray something wonderful happens to me. Pray that nothing but good happens for me. Instead of praying something terrible doesn't happen to me. So that's the thing is stay in the mindset of wonderful things are unfolding. Wonderful things are unfolding. And I've really learned to do that. Like I was sharing last week, sometimes things will occur that the surface mind goes, oh, that's not good. But I go, I've learned, trained myself to go, oh, this is going to be interesting. Let's see how the good unfolds from here. And then I'm in anticipation of the good. You could say I'm expecting it, but to expect the good to flow is is to, to be in the, the right mind. So thank you, Lori. That was really helpful. Bless. Yes, bless you too. 
All right, anybody else have any other questions or sharing on this topic? We've got Shelly wrote in. She says, your question about how do I react when I'm trying to control a situation, this has recently become very clear in my awareness that I do this. I go into sad and pitiful behavior. I get quiet or I start using a very soft voice. I am so, so, so tired of this behavior and I'm so willing to do something different. Can you talk about making a shift from seeing myself and acting like a victim into a loving woman living in the flow of love? Yes, I can. So this going sad into sad and pitiful behavior, it is a way to manage, control, and manipulate. It's a, it's a tactic for manipulation. Um, and there's many of them. So let's see if we can identify more of these um, tactics that people have for trying to manipulate situations. So sad and pitiful. What, what then, what are you trying to, what is the ego trying to elicit from people? Sympathy, right? Maybe empathy, maybe compassion. But a lot of times if you're going into sad and pitiful, you're really looking for sympathy. You're trying to get people to do it your way so that you won't be pathetic, so that you won't be sad and pitiful. So they're going to rescue you because you have no control over how you feel. You just go into reaction because you're helpless and hopeless and you, you just you just – you need other people's help to rescue you from your sadness and your, your pitifulness. And so it's a form of manipulation. And those, the people who go into that behavior, they are often perfectly paired with people who like to control through taking charge and rescuing, right? So the people who like to manage and control and manipulate through rescuing they will find the people who um, are helpless and hopeless and need their help. Because then you've got, you, you feel better about yourself because I'm helping this person. They, they would be lost without me. And you, it's the a typical codependent relationship. And nobody is happy. Nobody feels good. Nobody feels loved because there is no love. There's managing, controlling, manipulating, and the lack of love is very present, so there's no happiness. But at least you're not alone. This is what a lot of people do. It's so very common. And so how do you interrupt that pattern? Is literally when you feel it coming on, the next time you feel it coming on, make the commitment ahead of time. Always so important to make a commitment ahead of time. Make the commitment now that the next time this comes on, you start to feel yourself energetically flowing your energy down that same old way, that you will become keenly aware of it. And one of the things you can do, this is really helpful, I do it all the time, is you can ask the angels to help you become hyper-aware of what you're doing when you're doing it so that you can interrupt the pattern. So 
you'll then what will happen is if you're really willing you will notice the energy is flowing in that direction and you're not feeling good you will start to observe yourself and that's really helpful because then you're bringing the light of your soul awareness your spirit awareness to what's going on and you can look at watch yourself just observe yourself Hmm, what's really happening here? What do I really hope will happen here? What's my agenda here? What's, what am I thinking is the best possibility for me here? Just notice how you feel, the choices that you're making, what's motivating you. And then you may find that you snap out of it much faster. And you just go, uh, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. So, and you'll, you'll notice when it's very tempting, and it'll start to become tiresome. It's like um, a lot of things can be like that. Like I, I, I used to be a smoker, and I quit smoking a few times. So sometimes when I w would be smoking, I would notice this cigarette tastes terrible. This is awful. I don't even like this. But I would keep smoking. Like, well, I'm not giving it up. I have permission to smoke. I've given myself permission to smoke, even though I don't like it, even though it's making me feel sick. I'm going to keep going because there's no point in stopping. I've already, I'm halfway there. Why would I stop now? There's no extra points if I stop now. And then I started to realize, yeah, there, there's, there's good that can happen if I stop now. I can take one puff and go, yeah, I don't need this. And so that's, you start to interrupt the pattern and interrupt the pattern. And the way we do that is through cultivating our awareness because awareness is our God connection. When we're just doing things by habit and by rote, we have no awareness. The God connection is gone. So we've got Tammy raising her hand here. And so I'm going to unmute you, Tammy. Here we go. Hi, I think you kind of covered. Hi, I think you kind of covered it after I raised my hand, and when you went into those rescuers, <laughs> and um, because that's my role, that's been my role in my family. I've always been the one trying to fix everything. You know, I feel like I have to fix everything, and I've become keenly, keenly aware of that. In the last, well, several months, I mean, I've had so much go on in my life with my relationships and just, oh, my God, everything's just it's like a avalanche of stuff happening all the time. But, you know, I, I need for my family to need me to fix things for them because that's, that's kind of my... Um, that's my role. I'm the hero. I, that's where I get my, you know, push to do things. But then I'm the one who feels resentful because I really didn't want to do that in the first place but felt obligated somehow and they're my family, et cetera. Uh, I'm my mom's oldest, blah, blah, blah. And um, ultimately I've destroyed my own life and enabled them terribly, a lot of them, 
I mean, we're getting better, yep. but because I'm getting better. But you know what? Everything works together for your good, Tam. Everything, everything, everything. There's nothing wasted in God. We can't waste our lives. It's not even possible because it just takes what it takes till we learn what we set out to learn. So you're, we're always teaching and we're always learning simultaneously. In every moment of every day, whatever choices we're making, we're teaching the efficacy of our choices. We're teaching the value of our choices. So when we're making poor choices, everyone around us is going, hmm, I think that's a poor choice. It doesn't make them happy. It doesn't seem to be going well. I'm learning from what they're choosing. And when we're choosing things that make us happy and light us up and more good is coming into our life, people are watching that and they're going, I think I'm going to start making some choices like that. That looks like the smart choices there. So we're always teaching the efficacy of our choices. And your whole path family has come together to break these patterns. So you're taking a lead in your way. They're taking a lead in their way. It's, it's a cumulative effort. It's a, it's a group effort. And so the, the main thing is to drop all the judgment. So you're saying that you're a, a rescuer. Uh, I used to be a rescuer too. So, and, and, you know, I'm in this profession as a teacher and a counselor. So I've taken the rescuer and turned it into leader teacher. Okay. So you can, there's the dark side and the light side of everything. So the dark side of the teacher and the leader is the fixer, the rescuer. You see? Uh So you can turn it to the light side and be the teacher leader that you really are. Yes, I bet a lot has been happening. So, but the main thing for you that I feel right now, Tammy, is to recognize that when we look at the people around us as failing, as being uh, stuck and needing our help, we're projecting stuff onto them that makes our life a whole lot harder. And so if we can see that, see them in our mind's eye and hold in our heart that they have the power, even if it looks like they don't have any power at all, they do have power because the power of God is in them. And they can have a realization at any moment. They can have a healing at any moment. And that's what we can hold for them. And that is very powerful. It's life-changing. But if we're looking at them and thinking they need our help, we're thinking from the ego, it's not helpful to them. Right. I have been able to say to my mom, no, mom, I can do that. I came from you. You can do that too. But she always says, I can't. Tammy, I need you to do this for me because I can't. You know, that's my whole life story with her. And Lately, I've been, no, I know you can, because I can. I came from you. You came from God. If I could do it, you can do it. You know, and so she's been trying some things. She's not real great at it yet, but she's learning a little bit. It's hard for me. God, it makes me want to cry to see her struggle with stuff. God, it's terrible. But I've, I've really had to step back and just let it go because it was destroying me. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. I know it's not easy. 
these are lifelong patterns but you're you're wise to turn it around and you know here's the thing is give the heavy lifting away so you can literally call the company of heaven call the angels call Jesus call your ancestors and say help me help my mother in the most loving way which is to empower her and to allow divine insight and intuition to lead you and guide you rather than trying to figure it out because when we're trying to figure it out we're still identified with the ego yeah not easy not easy at all but good for you Tammy thanks it's going good it's all good (laughs) it's all good (laughs) yeah yeah thank you for sharing that Okay, so anybody else have any examples of uh, patterns? Jody's asking here, can you address the difference between being a rescuer and being truly helpful? Yes. So uh, a rescuer is looking at the person as needing help and being helpless, and being truly helpful is feeling motivated and inspired by love not from judgment. So let me just tune in here and find an example. Well, you know, Tammy just gave the example of supporting her mother, empowering her mother to do things for herself. That's being truly helpful. Being a rescuer is doing it for her mother. Now, there are times when it can be truly helpful to do something for someone, but more often than not, it's to come to their aid by saying, let me support you through this, and giving people a chance to learn their own skills and to discover for themselves the power of God within them. So, let me see if I can find another example. So the first one that comes to my mind is, and you may have heard me say this before, uh, in the relationship reboot class, I I think I might might have said it, I had a friend who um, had come from some difficult circumstances and seemed to have some emotional challenges. And so... I kind of always went the extra mile with her to help her and love her and support her, even to the point where at times it was uncomfortable for me. And I learned to have more compassion that way. Um, And one of the things that would happen sometimes is we would have a lovely time together, and then when it was time for us to go our separate ways, uh, what seemed like, it took me a while to recognize the pattern, but there was separation anxiety. So she would pick a fight right before it was time for us to end our time together. And that fight would escalate, 
And I'd be trying to be like, well, wait a minute, that's not what I meant. Wait a minute, that's not what I said. Wait, wait what, what? And so I thought it was out of compassion that I would try and help her come back to a peaceful place. She didn't want to come back to a peace. That's how I have separation anxiety. And whoops. I realized I really didn't like her. her and so that happened, and I was really angry, and I said, hope that I said, I'm not here. I cannot save her. I've tried. It doesn't work. This repeated. I don't know what it's for. I think this whole relationship, holy I'm not in this relationship anymore, and... my guidance on this, but right now I just don't know. And this call me a really email and I wrote back to her and said, I'm happy to have a call about this, but go back up now. I just find that it's not helpful. And I I don't think I've heard from her since maybe 10 years. Um, I love her. She walked in the door a year. That would burn. I know that I got what to get from that relationship. I got rescued. And that was for me to learn. To think you, other people, have work on it. It's not a fun life, you know. We can support other people in themselves, you know, live out. And people tell me constantly that I life, but I don't have the life but my own. But it's greater to be able to smile and to figure out choices, what the unloving should to see the difference. But I do hard as body's life at rescue. And uh, on the bench, she has where she goes, you know, save yourself. It's true, self. Save yourself. And from that you can else, but you can and the healer it's just absolutely all the so being told is to correctly the job in them Jody if you addressed my issue I will empower others which is not what I am used to at all thank you yeah, totally different. You know what? Some people reject. They're like, fix it for me. Like, Tam, no, I won't fix it for me. Do it for me. It's like this. If you're, I'm not a good, I can care of a lot of life. And you can't rage. 
child will be using for it does not work. In our community calls, talk about it. It's affected their relationship with their children because they trust too much. So, but we support them and know that they have the power to do it. All right. The rights up a lot hard to hear because you asked thank you yes I appreciate you letting sorry about a signal here and if there's anything about it right now we're coming anyway so thank you I really want me know that Jenny and I will make uh, add a for uh, next time Okay. Oh. oh, we've got a bunch of people raising their hands here. So we're coming up to time here, but I am going to see Rosemary's raising Rosemary. Hi, Jennifer. I'm sorry. I was trying to tell you, I don't know if it was just me, but I didn't hear anything. Uh, uh, it, you were coming in and out very badly, except when you started talking about picking fights and uh, separation anxiety. Okay, I'll, I'll repeat. Yes, yeah, now? now I can't. I, you're coming in and out now. Sometimes you sound like you're in a tunnel, and then sometimes you hear nothing. I don't know. I might be the only one. I'll, I'll hang up, and you can talk and see if anybody else had the same experience. Wait. Hang up. Um, I'll, I'll mute you out. <laughs> he ran. Yeah, it's the same thing here. We're having the same uh, noise and the, the tunnel effect and everything. So just wanted to let you know as well. Thank you. Okay. And did you want something? Same thing. Okay, Isabel. Hey, I was going to say I'm getting. I missed maybe five to ten minutes of the last call because it was going in and out. Okay, I eat that going in and you're going in and out. Yes. Okay. You know what I'm going to do is I will keep that next class rather than and review with the But thank you very much. Okay. I'm going to see if I can just get in the phone and uh, call in real quick here and see work. Because usually Skype, it's better. Um, this signal is not so I'm just going to give it a quick call here to work. I'm going to lower my hands. And one 
maybe Rand, you can just give me feedback here. I'm phone. Okay, how is this? Can somebody tell me? I think it's pretty good. Oh, but it's going in and out. <laughs> All right. Any feedback? Somebody give me on the phone. Okay, Jenny. How is it? I think we can hear you. Okay, great. Thank you very much. All right, so I'm going to continue talking and uh, give you the a repeat of what I was sharing just now, actually. I'll do that right now, which was I was saying that um, the difference between rescuing someone and being truly helpful, it's a very important distinction. So when we're rescuing someone, we're seeing them as needing our help, that they are disempowered. They don't have what it takes. And what we're really doing a lot of the time is we're trying to make ourselves feel better by rescuing someone else or healing someone else. And, for instance, when uh, I, was, I was being interviewed one time for A Course in Miracles documentary, and the question that was asked of me was, is it right to charge for healing? And I, my answer was, well, first of all, we have to understand that the only one I can heal is me. So I don't charge anyone for healing them because I don't even know where to start with healing them. However, we can be the two or more who are gathered and a healing can take place. God is the healer. Love is the healer. I am not a healer. I can be in healing profession, and I am, but I am not the healer. It's the I am, I am that is the healer. And that's important to always know. When someone has that habit of being the rescuer, they are looking to feel better about themselves by helping someone else. So anyone who has this pattern of being a rescuer, uh, look for that. Look for are you trying to feel better about yourself by looking at someone else as being in lack and limitation and needing your help? Because when we project our lack and limitation thoughts about ourselves as not being good enough on our own, we have to prove that we are good by helping someone else. We have to prove that we have what it takes to be a worthwhile human being because we're helping others. Then what we're really doing is we're projecting our own lack and limitation out onto them and seeing them as limited. And that is not helpful to them. And we're disempowering them. So this is what Tammy was sharing about her experience with her mother. She is trying to, she is actually, not just trying, she is letting her mother know that her mother has the power. So she's interested in supporting her mother, not doing it for her mother. So being truly helpful, the number one thing is to see people clearly and not to project our own thoughts of lack and limitation on them. That's the most helpful thing we can do for anyone, is to see them as perfect, whole, and complete. 
And so when we're being truly helpful in the world, that's the number one thing that we're doing. Being truly helpful is not trying to figure out how to help someone, but just if there's an inspiration, if there's a guidance, we follow it. And we know the difference, we discern the difference between ego guidance and spiritual guidance. So the ego is always going to be looking for a problem to fix. The ego looks for a problem, finds a problem, and then wants to fix it. The spirit looks and sees no problem. The only problem that the spirit will see is the belief in separation. A lot of people feel better about themselves by helping people who are less fortunate. I uh, I once heard a wonderful minister teacher of mine say that if the Christians would simply, and he was a Christian minister, a Methodist minister, he said if the Christians would realize that they could solve poverty by working at the level of the cause of poverty instead of just trying to feed the poor, then the problem of poverty would go away we could work at the level of the cause. So that's what we're doing by working at the level of our mind. So I was saying that I had a friend that it took me a long time to realize what was going on in our relationship that was so unpleasant. So one of the things that would happen was every time we got together, a little bit before it was time for us to part and go our separate ways, she would start attacking me or find fault with me or accuse me of something and pick a fight. And then I would move into managing and coping with the situation, trying to make her feel better, which never worked. It would just escalate the argument. And it took me a lot of arguments to finally realize she has separation anxiety. That's what's happening. She's having such a wonderful time with me We're enjoying each other so much that she's feeling anxious about us separating and not being together. And so shes it's showing up as her picking a fight because then if she picks a fight, she's happy to get away from me instead of sad. And so I just didn't know anything about that, you know. And so that she taught me that. And so the last time it happened, afterwards, I just said to the Holy Spirit, this relationship is your relationship. I'm giving the whole thing to you. You manage it. You heal it because I don't know how. And um, my friend left. She was very angry with me. She went home and wrote a long, angry email to me. And I just stayed in that place of I'm, I'm not going to defend myself. And I don't need to attack her. And so I did call her, leave her a message and say, um, hey, I don't want to go back and forth on an email about this, but I'm happy to get together with you and talk about it. And I literally never saw her again. And I, I didn't feel sad about it because I knew that I'd gotten a healing and that her healing was taking place too, even though I didn't understand it. I just knew it. And if she walked in the door today, I'd be so happy to see her, so very happy to see her, because I love her. The love has not changed. 
but we didn't need to spend time with each other anymore. She taught me that in her way, she taught me that I couldn't rescue her and I couldn't heal her. And my looking at her as someone who needed rescuing, needed healing, was not helping her. And so once I stopped looking at her that way, then we just didn't need to spend time with each other anymore. The, our mission was complete. At least that's how it feels to me. And so I feel peaceful about it. And I don't miss her because I don't feel separate from her. We're on the same journey. Our journey is still in happening in the oneness. And I know that however, whenever I see her next, we'll just celebrate and laugh about what happened. Yes. All right. So... Sorry for the technical difficulties. Thank you for your patience. We'll um, edit the audio so it's more um, doesn't have that space in it. And I'm going to say a prayer and play a song. So I'm going to invite you to turn within. And we're so grateful and so thankful that we can open our hearts and open our minds to the highest possibility of love. So grateful and so thankful that we're learning to trust inspiration and guidance. We're learning to place our trust in love rather than our opinions and judgments. So grateful and so thankful that we're releasing the expectations. We're releasing the thoughts of lack and limitation. So grateful to open ourselves to a dynamic and powerful healing and we share the benefits of our healing with everyone because we are one with them. So grateful to stand in this place of choosing to be the fulcrum point of love in our family, in our workplace, in our life. In gratitude, we let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting. In gratitude, we let it be, and so it is. Amen, amen, amen. Yes. And I have a wonderful song to play here for you. It is um, called Living in the Moment by Jason Mraz. And uh, it's a fun song, Jason Mraz, Living in the Moment. God bless you. I love you. Have a great week. Making a phone